Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw and I I'm trying best I can, to work out the function of criticism. Last night, or recently, I was reading Matthew Arnold's essay. <laughs> it's called the, the Function of Criticism. And he was writing in the 19th century. And uh, I think that it's probably the same. The function is still the same. We're trying to figure out whether uh, art... Any art makes us more human. I don't know. I don't know who to ask. Maybe I'm going to go ask the other primates. Anyway, I'm still worried about, you know, the advent of television as our major art form. Well, anything, anything can go on television, any feature film, whatever. Uh, Once upon a time, once upon a time... Literature, uh, literature was uh, the biggie, the big thing. Held a little book in our hand. And literature then was made by the great lovers. Uh, it was made by those whose capacity to love was larger, larger than life. Yeah, think Thomas Hardy, Tess of D'Urbervilles. <laughs> Today, the great lovers make films now if morality is the desire to lessen suffering on earth then there's more morality at the movies and in cinematic art than there is in literature now I will be scolded for that but I I think it is true I mean certainly certainly the movies (laughs) are more moral than uh, uh what is that? Uh, anything, art in general, people, governments, whatever. Uh, now, if art is civilized magic and movie magic uh, has done more for civilization than the elder arts, that is, painting, poetry. Now, I think it's true, but I'm just going to say it's a progression. Uh, I would never, never, never take the books off the shelves. Of course, uh, they are the most essential. They're the bones of things because we will always have words. We will always have language. Even those uh, who cannot read, uh, 
they they can they can understand uh, now ciphers ciphers yes the concepts that can only be created with language those are the ones that make us human uh, now it's easier to say something new something we've never thought of or heard before with words uh, now precepts and even poetry can be seen uh, within any image now the word image itself is <laughs> little confusing, you know. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Ah, I think lately of the short videos, the little three-minute sticks now, they are to feature films as poetry is to prose. Now, a synthesis of imagery can be quite startling and exciting. It's the agony of a lifetime, imaged in ten minutes. Think of Michael Jackson, changed the world, yes. Anyway, so what is the function of a critic today? Now, most media watchers know that the bulk of popular art will always be nothing more than entertainment, entertainment, yes. This will certainly be true as long as the mass of people are conservative, that is, frightened, afraid, frightened. Most people are frightened because the world is frightening and they wish to be consoled, to be confirmed in their beliefs. Ah. Uh, Validated, they say, yes, validated. Uh-huh. They have structured belief systems. Uh-huh. Reinforce those prejudices, I mean. Uh, it hurts, after all. It hurts to think, that is, and it's absolute agony to think twice, and that is the truth of it, the truth of it. It hurts. Now, it's like using muscles that haven't been exercised for years, you know. The ultimate goal of thought is a conclusion. That is, permission to stop thinking. Ah, get an answer right. You get an answer, and you can go back to vegetating. <laughs> Thus... Most people's synapses, that is their little brain cells, those synapses sag after a few laps around the field of new ideas. They settle for the status quo. Uh, or they settle for something that a friend said last night over a few drinks. Indeed, indeed, yes. The shorter, yeah, the shorter the phrase, yeah, mm -hmm. Okay, conservatives are asked to look for more complex answers to uh, what they insist are simple problems. I don't know what that's all about. It's just that it hurts so much to go on talking about something that you thought we had settled. I thought we had settled that 
something. Uh, <laughs> something was nothing, yes. Uh, people get stuffy. They retreat behind their moat. Uh, they are in the castle of conformity. Uh, the conformist is the sort of fellow who says firmly that she or he only wants to be entertained to escape reality, reality being the world of money uh, and entertainment, the world of play. Want to play with our money. <laughs> anyway, contemporary film criticism has been reduced to a sort of bitchcraft. Most of the movie reviews that we read are just, uh, oh, exercises in uh, witty, witty uh, remarks. Uh, they tuck this stuff into little columns like the gossip columns. They put them in the trash section of the tabloids. Uh, actually, there is another kind you can find on the back pages of certain magazines. Right. It becomes elitist. It becomes what Noel Coward called Piss elegant. Uh, it is confined to the state of the art esoterica that is published in journals, yes, film journals. Those are read only in film schools and by scholars. And yet, the curious thing is that even in today's climate, yes, aesthetic climate, uh, aesthetics is a subject. Uh, that was, well, it is most yawned upon. Uh, it's one of the ways to know whether or not a thing is beautiful. That is, whether or not it is a work of art. Now, if you look at it carefully, look carefully, look carefully, and you will recognize a work of art because it is always morally stunning, I will repeat, I will repeat, Morally stunning. Uh, it's interesting to think about morality. Morality is always the desire to lessen suffering on earth. Watch the movie, think about it, and decide. Does this story, does the tone of it, does the quality of the production, does it make you feel that you might want to lessen suffering on earth. <laughs> Great art always changes the world. Even Henry Miller said so. Images of shared fate, a shared fate. Uh, images of collective agony and ecstasy. Now, this stuff emerges... Uh, even from Woody Allen, that uh, Hebrew patriarch Woody Allen is quite capable of, uh, let us call it, humanistic masterpieces. Good old Woody. Now, one of my favorite moral stunners is uh, a film by Alan Renee's called My American Uncle. It's a mournful, illustrated existential meditation on the fate of man. 
Benes uses the theories of French sociobiologist Henri Laborate, who appears in the film, to demonstrate biological life in turmoil. We see rats in mazes, both real and metaphorical. The rats try to escape from anguish. René is the filmmaker, tells the audience that anguish comes when we are unable to dominate the situations in which we find ourselves. The film comments on the functions of our cerebral cortex in contrast with the responses of the old reptilian brain. We are presented with the torment and the stress of the human condition. We see characters that mix memory <laughs> with old movies, yes. Uh, we see them love and lose, fight or die. Now, that film ends with scenes of aching nostalgia. The filmmaker, René, in My American Uncle, yes, he takes on, uh, well, a very bleak tone. We see uh, eons, well, decades at least, tours of massed desolation, bleak bombed cities, metaphors for dark ages, for dark times and a future in which annihilation is the probable result of our life today. Uh, the filmmaker is trying to warn us, warn us that bombed cities, uh, these, these metaphors for our dark future, yes, it all changes if, if uh, our ability to transcend the first function of our old brain. This might mean survival. Now, uh, the old brain wants to dominate and devour all other biological life. But then, what is most moving is the beauty created by the filmmaker. He gives us images of a world that I do not want to lose. A world that I love, that we all love. Uh, now, he also creates the images, the terrible ones, of a fate, which is the more poignant because it will be shared, shared by all of us. Whatever comes, how can such works of art not bring us together? Looking at my old stories, yes, I'm going to tell you some more about <laughs> what old movies can do for you, but right here I want to pause just long enough to read a poem about Cassandra, the woman who, <laughs> the prophetess back in Troy. Yes, she was the one who warned us. Now, I think that art is the great, the great warning, kind of a siren. It's called Wake Up, Zen Slaps. Here we go. Robinson Jeffers, born 1887. 
Wow, that's a hundred years before my book here. Robinson Jeffers writes this poem. It's called Cassandra. You remember she runs mad when the uh, Greeks come and destroy her country, destroy Troy. This is all about Cassandra by Robinson Jeffers. He writes, The mad girl with the staring eyes and long white fingers hooked in the stones of a wall. The storm-rack hair and the screeching mouth. <laughs> Does it matter, Cassandra? whether the people believe your bitter fountain. Truly, man hates the truth. He'd liefer meet a tiger on the road. Therefore, the poets honey their truth with lying. <laughs> but religion, vendors, and political man, well... They pour from the barrel new lies on the old. I repeat, they pour from the barrel new lies on the old. They are praised for their kindly wisdom. Poor bitch, be wise, no, no. You will still mumble in a corner a crust of truth. You'll still mumble in a corner a crust of truth to man and God's disgusting. You and I, Cassandra. All right, and that's a century before Indeed, indeed. I'm afraid that I'm venting. Venting, yes. This mad desire that the poets, the writers, the thinkers, those who criticize with their pens and with their images and their stories, is it, is it reasonable for us to believe that what we say might help uh, Back, back, back in the day, I remember my mother wouldn't, well, she wouldn't sit through a movie. She'd go smoke in the lobby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I remember how much she loved a couple of movies, primarily Garbo, Garbo pictures. Uh, she certainly didn't care for Wuthering Heights. It was such a flimsy effort, she said, leaving out the second half of the book. I suppose... If she hadn't died in the 1940s, she might have come to see that film as a classic, uh, although it's a Byronically romantic interpretation of the book. Nowadays, serious students in English classes are assigned films like Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre, that is, the Hollywood version. Uh, my mother thought such films were just emotional shorthand for the novels. Yes, well, perhaps so. Marshall McLuhan writes that uh, movies 
have made us a tribal people again. Got that? Uh-huh. Tribal in the sense of Homeric. Back in Homer's day, <laughs> it, was, it was like a big, uh, uh, big football game or a rock show. Tribal people, they're moved by song and dance and the emotive forces in drama. Now, literary people, of course, are moved by words. They're alone in a room. They don't hear anything except uh, their own hearts. Literary people are very susceptible to propaganda. Tribal people are persuaded by rock music. <laughs> As McLuhan says, literate people are self-conscious. Think about it. They can hold their liquor. <laughs> they don't get drunk as fast, yes, <laughs> as kids at a rock concert. Now, uh, when I began writing Mind Over Media and broadcasting it on KPFA, I hoped to bring to bear on modern media the kind of critical faculty that so far, so far, has been reserved for literature. Now, film deserves a primary place in the humanities. Movies entered the academy, well, first as a science, then as theology. Ah, yes, the iconography of the frame, blah, blah. Uh, Lillian Gish, yes, she described the early silent film experience. Uh, she said when the screen uh, affected the the audience, it uh, it filled their their souls. The experience was filled with direct emotions and most of all with music, music, music. When silent films are silent, that's another story. Uh, she said that the early silent films were much more spiritual than those talkies that followed in the 1920s. As the words were added, the experience went away, the spiritual experience. Today, the chatty, chatty, yammering, uh, mundane TV shows, the sitcoms. You see all the characters talking at once. Nobody's saying anything, just talking. Actors, audience, everyone chatting away. Uh, yes, I am interested in the prosaic notion that film-like literature is, first of all, historical. It tells the truth of our time in the same way that Aristophanes' plays tell us the truth of his day. Of course, they tell us even more about Aristophanes. Now, Marx, you remember Karl Marx, he told us that changes in the modes of production change history. 
and Marshall McLuhan told us that changes in the modes of communication change perception. Got all that. Got it all. I hope I'm not going too fast for you. Yes. <laughs> Humphrey Bogart would say, yes. I'll, I'll repeat it all. So it's a wonderful movie where uh, Humphrey Bogart talks to the uh, secretary. Anyway, the transmitter, the transmitter, that's the translator. You got that? Uh, thoughts, feelings, they are translated into images. Now, when I was growing up, the major mode of communication was print. I don't know if it is still print. I'm really at a loss. Uh, words, words. We made the words into pictures in our heads. I think of all the images that I created as I read those old Victorian novels. Uh, some of the words were like bells, bells, giving off endless connotations. Yes, the words, yes. Gertrude Stein says that rose is a rose is a rose. And once upon a time, a rose alone, rose was, yes, red, we could see it. But she had to write rose is a rose is a rose before we could see it again. Uh, anyway, I guess words are to thought as image is to dream. Now, I worked on that for a long time, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, words are to images. Yes, words are to thought, pardon me. Words are to thought as images are to dream. I go over and over that and then I remember, yes, that the words give us theories, give us concepts. Now, the images, the pictures are precepts, but they are powerful beyond words because they go right to the brainstem. Remember the old reptilian brainstem? That's where the pictures hit. They hit right there, down there, where the, the little... The little lizard lives. Uh, now, in school, I was told that language is thought. That what cannot be said cannot be thought. You got that? Most of us cannot remember, two words, remember the time early in life before we had words to name our feelings you remember that. You remember how old were you when you gave a name to your pain. Now, we know that the experience of our early, early years, the experiences are deeply imprinted in our memory banks. Now, this is why some images hit us so hard. Language is the way to conscious consciousness. Oh, boy. Yes, language is the way to conscious consciousness. Remember school teachers saying that the Egyptians, the Egyptians, had only a kind of sign language. 
that hieroglyphics, you know, picture words. And they told me that perhaps that was why they lasted so long and stood so still. <laughs> Then signs gave way to symbols and the meaning and connotation of words became more sophisticated, flexible, complex. Is a picture of the moon more complex and layered than the word moon as we see it written on a sheet of paper? <laughs> Try it and see an Irish poet. We'll talk about the moon. Before he looks at it, he'd rather, he'd rather talk about it than look at it. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till next time, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Join KPFA on election night, November 5th, as you consider that in a mere 12 months, Donald Trump plans to have his name on your ballot. Come to a screening of The Great White Hoax at 7 p.m. at Oakland's New Parkway Theater, because it's time. It's time to learn how white racism divided the working class to bring Trump into office. It's time to strengthen an intersectional alliance across race and class lines so we can say no to Trump's xenophobic rhetoric. Join us Tuesday, November 5th, 7 p.m. at the New Parkway Theater in Oakland for a screening of The Great White Hoax with a frank and challenging after-film discussion led by myself, Adrian Lobby, and Eddie Duarte of KPFA's Pushing Limits. That's Tuesday, November 5th, 7 p.m. at the New Parkway Theater for The Great White Hoax. For information, visit kpfa.org.